Awesome. Welcome to Fire the Canon, you guys. This is the podcast where we read the books in the Western canon and decide if they belong or not. And this week, we are reading Kurt Vonnegut's Slaughterhouse-Five. I'm your first host, Jackie. I'm your primary host, Rachel. And I'm Becca. And I'm just here to have an opinion. And I'm sure I will. (laughs) And I'm your first host, Jackie. And we read the first, mm, let's say, four and a half chapters of the book. It's basically, no, it's like five and a half chapters. No, we stopped in the middle of chapter five. Yes, it is. No, we stopped in the middle of chapter five. Yes, it's five and a half. No, no. Oh, you're right. No, it's like four and a half. That's four and a half. (laughs) (laughs) There's ten in the book. Guys, I'm struggling today. But I'm in charge, so. (laughs) Jackie is what our mom would call. White girl wasted. Drunkity. Oh, drunkity, yeah. Buzzballed. <laughs> oh, I thought it was white girl wasted. It would be buzzballed or drunkity. I like drunkity. Yeah. yeah. Drunkity is when you're like, you're drunk, but you don't want to admit it, and it's fun. And then buzzballed, it, it has a lot of meanings, but basically, have you had a buzzball before, Jackie? <laughs> no, what is that? They're these little balls. They're from Texas. It's, it's a women-owned company. I think it might be female veteran-owned. I don't remember what it says on the ball, but they're little spheres, and inside them are little cocktails, essentially. And we first found them on a family trip to Hawaii. We'd never seen them before anywhere. And for the whole trip, we just basically only drank buzz balls in terms of alcohol because you could buy them at ABC stores or convenience stores or whatever. They were cheap. Instead of saying that we were drunk, we would say we were buzzballed or like we would ask if the other one was buzzballed. <laughs> but now you can find them everywhere. Buzzballed is like not as drunk as drunkity. No, it's more. I think it's more. You think buzzballed is more drunk buzzballed than Buzzballed is, it's more than being buzzed, I think. Yeah, but it's not as much as drunkity. I think drunkity is between buzzed and buzzballed. Whoa, I thought drunkity was the most, I don't know. I didn't realize that. <laughs> no, that's drunk. Okay. I've heard of a speedball. Like a speedball is actual drugs. Isn't like, that cocaine or something? Or speed? It's heroin. <laughs> See, I don't know oh. anything about what? that. Wait, what's speed? Is speed heroin? I don't know. It's uh, I googled it. It is, it's amphetamine, it's cocaine or amphetamine with heroin, morphine and or fentanyl. Cocaine mixed with heroin? Yeah. Well, it's a little bit of everything. Is a speedball. Yeah. It's like an upper and a downer at the same time. But guys, I haven't done that. I've never done any of those You know things. what else is an upper and a downer at the same time? Slaughterhouse 5 by Kurt Vonnegut. Oh, there we Oh, you're right. Uh, <laughs> wow, it really is such a good segue, Rachel. Brought it back around. Thank you. So hopefully you listened to our Kurt Vonnegut bio episode last week, I guess it was, or two weeks ago, sorry. It was so good. Jackie edited it alone. Thank you. I did. Hopefully you guys appreciated the bot that I included, which Theo Two thought bots. was actually Jacob. <laughs> Becca. I wasn't sure. I thought I listened to it already. You thought I it was Jacob? the bot was Jacob pretending to be a robot or getting a robot to say things. You literally him. thought that was a person? It was obviously a computer. Who's a robot? Well, he's British. What do I know? What they, you know. <laughs> so yeah, I, I found so. this hilarious website and you could pick from like, there were so many different accents and for English British accent, there were like 20 different people you could choose from, male and female. I chose a person named Alfred <laughs> because I thought Alfred was just like the funniest. You thought he sounded the most like Jacob or was there an, even a more jacob oh, one? No, actually, maybe I misremembered. Maybe his name was Nelson. <laughs> there was a lot of names, but I know Nelson was one. I think I may have picked Nelson. Nelson was like a very proper butler sounding guy and he was the one who was like, hello, I'm Jacob. <laughs> and Theo and Beckham both thought that was an accent. 
actual British man. The funny thing is that <laughs> Jacob would probably be offended that people think that that he like very proper offended. accent sounds like him because he's from more northern England. He's, a, he's from Liverpool. He's not from Liverpool. <laughs> he's from Liverpool. No, he's not. <laughs> Where is he from? We'll have him, in, Jacob, insert here where you're from. Oh, sorry. He's from Manchester. He's from Manchester. I don't think he's from Manchester know. either. We're going to find out. Jacob here. I was actually born in Carlisle. Carlisle is the biggest city in the UK by area. Most of this area is populated by sheep. He lives. You know where he lives? Oh, he's in Bristol. In England. He's in Bristol. He lives in Bristol. Yeah. Bristol. What? What are you saying? What but Rachel, of- I just wanted to say, keep an eye on your screen. There's a little cat tail wiggling around. There's a little cat tail like a I know. in the corner. He, he's there. The cats, the problem is if, if I don't let them in the closet, they like stick their hands under the door and claw at the carpet. And that is much louder than just letting them in. Oh my God. Do you know the number of times this bitch made me feel bad for having cats in my closet. Jackie, we knew you had cats because, Jackie, they unplugged your microphone uh, and you had to re-record all your audio. He's just hanging out behind me. that's worse. Only one. Only Eloise did that and I don't see her right now, but I know she's in So your cats are a liability and ours are not. One of them is. (laughs) Ours are a, what, a benediction. (laughs) A benefit. A benediction. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's the thing. Like, people always talk about, oh, good thing you don't have kids. And I'm like, well, your baby can't jump six feet in the air and bite you, and they're not sharp and fast. Yeah, that's true. Is that good? Or wait, you're saying cats are harder to have than kids. Yeah. Yeah, they're way harder. (laughs) It's easier to baby-proof a house than to cat-proof a house. Like, compared to a baby. Yeah. Yeah. And like, oh, your baby wakes you up in the middle of the night, so does my cat. All night, every night. And it's not just for the first couple years, it's for every year. Until they're fucking 21 years old, they're going to be waking me up every night. (laughs) My cats don't do that every night. You need to be better at sleeping, Jackie. Yeah. Oh, you know what? You know what? It's just my fault because I'm not good at sleeping. Victim blaming. So anyway, do you guys want to get into Slaughterhouse Five? Yeah. Because oh, some stuff is going to happen. I will tell you the very first thing is that before the book even starts, you know how there's like usually a list of like reviews that other people have given the book. Mm-hmm. You know, sure. like oh, this book is great. Blah blah blah. This one, one of them from the Atlantic Monthly, and this is uh, my copy of the book is from the year 1990 which is the year I was born and Rachel was born. Mm -hmm. It says, Our finest black humorist. We laugh in self-defense. And when I read this recently, I said, Kurt Vonnegut wasn't black. And then I realized they meant black humor. Ist. Black humorist. Like a white person's black humor. Not like the humor of black people, but like morbid humor, I guess. But I thought to myself, that's so unfair. He, there were definitely better black humorists. <laughs> <laughs> How offensive, yeah. Richard Pryor? Nope. Kurt Vonnegut. Better than him. Well, now we've resolved that, though, at least. Yeah. The Atlantic Monthly wasn't being racist that time. Not that time. Well, so that's what happens before the book starts. Um, before we get into the plot, do you guys want to say anything, or shall we just jump into it? No, I have no conceptions. <laughs> I was I was curious about it, but I did not do any Googling or anything before, hmm. so 
Blank canvas. Ooh, you were curious about it. Well, because it's sci-fi. Becca hasn't... You haven't done any sci-fi with us, have you? No. Yeah, sci-fi is my fave. Would you call this sci-fi? This is a little less... Jackie, if there are aliens, it's sci-fi. Like, even if they're just a little bit of the plot, if there's aliens? They're quite a bit of the plot. Yeah. Yeah, they are. Also, time travel is a huge amount of yeah. the plot, but the time travel and the aliens are actually basically separate. Like, they happen together. But I feel but like time travel could be sci-fi or yeah, fantasy, it could. though. It could, yeah. But this this is definitely science fiction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like Sirens of Titan, my favorite Kurt Vonnegut novel, is definitely more science-y fiction, but this is, like, inexplicable mm. science fiction. Would you agree? There's no explanation. Like, there's no actual science. Well, he just, there are many points where he's, like, thinking about these aliens and he's like, I can't get it. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, it's like philosophical science fiction. So the first chapter, I won't go into a ton. It's basically just an uh, autobiographical. Frame narrative. Account, yeah, frame narrative of the author of this book, who I think honestly is Kurt Vonnegut. And I wouldn't always say that the first person narrator is the author of the book, but I think in this case it basically was. And you can go back and listen to our Kurt Vonnegut bio. At least he's at least a version of Kurt Vonnegut. Some version of it. As I mentioned in our last episode, the first line of the book is All this happened more or less. And he says, this is what I was doing. I was in the war. I experienced these things. I went and talked to an old friend of mine who was in the army at the time. And I told him, I want to write a book about the bombing of Dresden, which we were both in. And I want to exchange war stories with you. So he goes to this guy's house and he tries to talk to him and exchange fun war stories. But it turns out neither of them really have any good stories to tell. (laughs) And the guy's wife is pretty mad at them. You know, he's like, why are you mad at me? And she's like, you were just babies. You were babies in this war. And I know when you're going to write this book about the bombing of Dresden, you're going to frame it like you were some kind of like superheroes and you were like badass army guys and blah, blah, blah. And this was cool. And you were so strong and impressive. And in fact, you were nothing but babies. And the Kurt Vonnegut character says, you're right. We were babies. And you know what? I'm going to call it the Children's Crusade. When I finish writing this book, I'm going to call it the Children's Crusade because that's what it was. So he lies. <laughs> he establishes himself as a well, liar. He does. <laughs> I mean, the name the name of the book, although it's not on the cover, is Slaughterhouse-Five or the Children's Crusade. Right. But like, come on. Like, that's kind of lying if you're like, oh, the subtitle. It's a subtitle that's not on the cover. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I've never heard of the Children's Crusade before. Also, he says he dedicates the book to her. It's crazy that she was so annoyed with them. She was, well, because basically she says Hollywood always tries to glorify war. She's like, look at John Wayne. And I forget, she named a couple other actors, but she's like, they're going to take your book and they're going to make an adaptation with John Wayne. And they're going to try to make you guys look like heroes and like war is a glorious <laughs> thing and like, it's fun, but actually yeah, you she were... says Frank Sinatra yeah. and John Wayne. Was Frank Sinatra in a war movie? I guess so. He I was in a lot of movies, but she says, like, at, mm. you were actually barely older than our kids because his he has his mm. daughter with him and she's playing with their daughters. She's like, you guys were actually barely older than those girls, and they're going to make this movie and make it look great, and they're going to use that as an excuse to send more babies to war to die. Oh, uh, okay. So he's like, I promise I'm not going to glorify it at all. Oh. Okay, okay. I see where she's coming from now. Honestly, as we go through the book, he doesn't glorify it. It's disgusting. 
Like, it's a disgusting, uh, like, very physical, like, anatomical description of war. So this first chapter ends with this autobiographical, maybe, author saying, people aren't supposed to look back anymore. And there's one line that I really love. You know, he's thinking about writing this book, and he says to himself, I asked myself about the present, how wide it was, how deep it was how much was mine to keep. And I feel like the whole book is basically this. It's like time and the progression of time and what it means to live in the present and what it means to remember the past and how you can never really get away from the past and also how you can never really get away from the future because everything's sort of set up ahead of time. Free will is not really much of a thing in this novel. And he he compares himself to Lot's wife in the Bible where he's saying that Mm -hmm. God didn't want her to look back but she did it anyway and he's saying that's what I did and I wasn't supposed to and I'm gonna stop now. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he says, the book begins like this. Listen, Billy Pilgrim has come unstuck in time. It ends like this. Pooty wheat? Ends like what? Pooty wheat. (laughs) There's a little bird sound. Could you spell that for me? Poo T wheat. Spell it, Jackie. P-O-O dash T-E-E dash W-E-E-T. Question mark? Okay. Huh. (laughs) (laughs) you got that becca it's it's a little bird sound so um it tells you how it'll begin and it tells it how it ends and becca didn't you say one time on a different episode that you love when books tell you how it'll end right on the first page Mm -hmm. yeah i do like that and then when you're like still surprised right exactly yeah this is kurt vonnegut you should read all of his books i don't know if i have time for that but i might read some of them (laughs) I have to say, I think that Becca should read at least one Kurt Vonnegut book, but knowing her reading preferences, there are a lot of other books she would enjoy more. (laughs) What were you saying, Becca? You like a romance? Well, it's not even the romance. I like to feel happy. Yeah. And I don't want to feel too sad when I'm reading. I don't want to be sad the whole time. It's like I have read books where I'm sad the whole time, but it's rough. I would say this is sad and funny, but it's never happy. Yeah. <laughs> you can't be sad the whole time because the book is very chopped up in time. Like you can't really make a timeline because the character, like the first line says, he's unstuck. So he kind of lives out different parts of his life. Yeah. But I think everything is sad, honestly. Like. Hmm. Everything he remembers is sad. And then, like, because he's switching back and forth from these different timelines, and a lot of the timelines include his time in World War II, it's basically always sad to me. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, so that's why it's not. I mean, and I feel like most books have at least some sad, but I feel like, you know, they can't be too bleak for me for it to be my Mm -hmm. type of book because I like to feel happy and be entertained. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't know if I would describe this as bleak. Like, maybe it is, but it's also like, I feel like it's full of emotion. Like, Hmm. it's not dead bleak. But so basically, it takes place in three different places. One is going to be Earth (laughs) Mm -hmm. during the time that Billy Pilgrim is in the present. One of the places is going to be Earth during the 1940s when he's in the war. So he switches back and forth a lot between, like, his middle-aged years and his young years when he's a soldier. The third place is going to be Trophamador, which is the planet that the alien Trophamadorians take him to. Cool. Sometimes he goes back to his childhood, but usually it's one of those three. Okay. 
And the aliens, when do they take him to that planet? Is it before or after the war or after the present? It's after the war. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the Billy Pilgrim stuff starts with them saying like a short history of his life that he goes to high school. He trains to be an optometrist. Then he gets drafted. After going to Germany, he has a nervous collapse and he puts himself in a sanatorium type thing and he gets shock therapy. Mm -hmm. Then when he gets better, he gets married. He has two kids and then he becomes... An optometrist. And then he's in an airplane accident where everyone dies but him. Him and a group of optometrists chartered a plane to an optometry conference and then it crashes in Vermont and he's the only survivor. But he injured his head. Obviously. And probably other things. But while he's getting better, his wife dies suddenly in an accident. And then when he gets home, he goes on a radio show in New York and talks about how he was abducted by aliens and like talks about aliens and their lifestyle and stuff. And his daughter, Barbara, friends tell her, you need to listen to what your dad's been doing. And she, like, gets mad and grabs him and takes him home. But then he, like, writes a letter to the paper about aliens. She's like, Dad, what are you doing? Like, you're making an embarrassment of yourself. You're making an embarrassment of the family. And he's like, it's true. And Billy Pilgrim's, (laughs) his personality, he's just very mild. He's so non-confrontational. He's never violent. Like, But he's pretty stubborn. I guess he is. But he's also just, like, he totally lacks any survival instinct, right? Like, he's totally just like flowing along (laughs) as this like non-entity and people are always just pushing him in one direction or another yeah i guess i would say so i don't we'll have to see how much of that we think comes from his like time experiences and also whether we think the time experiences are real because like as you will notice he starts talking about it after he hits his head yeah and so barbara says like why didn't you ever mention this before you hit your head and he said i didn't think the time was ripe okay so he basically hits his head and then he says he was abducted by aliens well before he hit his head i yeah basically he's like yeah i was abducted by aliens and also like i lived on the alien planet for a long time and blah blah blah. but he also says he's been quote unstuck in time since 1944 so like 20 years by this point yeah before he ever knew about or met the aliens he's been traveling back and forth in time and he can't control it it's not like he gets in a time machine and he goes back Mm -hmm. and forth he will just be someplace and the next thing he knows he's somewhere else sometime else and he has no idea where he's going to end up or when he's going to end up and he always goes back and forth and so he thinks to himself like okay I know how my life is going to go I know how my marriage is going to go I know how the war is going to go and he gets put back into these different times and he thinks to himself like okay I know how this is going to end up but like I have to act Hmm. like me while I'm here okay yeah and he he'll frequently like be talking about a time that he was for example, interacting with someone and then he'll, the narrator will be like, and you know, Billy knew that this guy would later die. We'll we'll just talk about it. I mean, we don't have to do it in order because he doesn't. (laughs) When he's in the sanatorium, he's with another guy who introduces him to science fiction, to Kilgore Trout, who is fake right? He's a he's a made-up author who Kurt Vonnegut brings back in, like, basically all of his books. He's a science fiction author who isn't real. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. But so this, his fellow, not really inmate, but, you know, the guy who's there, he introduces him to science fiction and to this guy's work, and Billy becomes a big fan, but then he'll say things like, oh, and this guy later gets shot by the Germans or something, right? There are all these characters where he'll tell us how they die. Oh. So, like, we know while we're reading about them what their fates are, and that makes us sad. Yeah. I guess I have a question. So, basically, is it 
do you have kind of a third person narr- narrator? It's all third person, yes. Okay, and they're but telling pretty you close. his mm-hmm. perspective. Exactly. Does the narrator tell you about the aliens yes. or do they just tell you what Billy says about the aliens? No, the narrator will say like the Tralfamandorians, they looked like basically toilet plungers. <laughs> Weren't they yes. green and like two feet tall? They look like toilet plungers with the, the plunge part down. They have an eye... At the top, and they have little hands, and they can put their hands over their eyes. But usually, they just have one eye, and they're green. Okay, and they're cool. Toilet plungers. And the narrator tells mm-hmm. us. Okay. Yeah, but but the narrator is a very close narrator, so we don't really learn much that Billy wouldn't know or like mm-hmm. be able to guess. And of yeah. course, it's easy. It's easy to go ahead and say that, like, okay, well, this is maybe an analog for PTSD. Like, you know, you close your eyes, and suddenly you're back in a different time, which you know maybe it is. Um, but then there's this extra element of the aliens. And so the aliens will go ahead and say the Trophimidorians are able to see in four dimensions. So, of course, the first three dimensions we've all got, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the fourth dimension is time. And they're able to see all of this at once. So unlike humans who can only look at one moment at a time, and as each moment progresses, the moment before it is lost, the next moment after that they can't see until they get there. The Trophimidorians are able to see all of that at once. So when they look at a human, they see basically a centipede with like baby legs at the front and old people legs at the back. When they look at the stars, they don't see individual pinpoints of light, they see loops and rings and strings of light because the stars have moved all around the sky and they're able to see all of it at once instead of just where they are in individual points. So they have a totally different conception of time than humans do. And that forms a large part of the basis of the book. Right. Because like when a Trophimidorian hears that someone dies, they can just say, so it goes because it doesn't really make a difference to them. He's alive in all these other points. Yeah. Right. Like this is the one point where they're dead, but they've been alive. Like they are alive because they have been. Okay. That's yeah. Time doesn't just pass and then end. It like always is all the time. Okay. Okay. But I think that kind of helps you understand like the unstuck in time part, like because it basically sets up the whole book to be like, yeah, the Trophimidorians are right. Like time is just all the all over the place and it's never really over. But so Billy, we'll go back to Billy. Basically, what happens to him is he goes into the army because he's drafted. He's told that he needs to be a chaplain's assistant, and he gets sent to the front in 1944. But before he ever gets there, basically, the whole regiment that he's supposed to join has been decimated. So he never is issued any, like, official weapon or boots or coat or helmet or anything. He just arrives (laughs) in his poor civilian clothes, and then Mm -hmm. he's, like, stuck, and the battle ends, and he's basically just wandering around like, oh, God, I don't have anything. So he's in the snow. He's accompanied by two scouts, American scouts, and a third American soldier named Roland Weary, who's an 18-year-old from, like, what, New Jersey or something? He's an asshole. He's an asshole. He's mean. (laughs) He was bullied in school, and the narrator says, like, whenever people would bully him, he would immediately, like, find someone who he thought was even more of a loser and, like, act nice to them and then be mean to them later. Yeah. Oh. Well, and he's also, like, obsessed with torture. So, like, he always talks about torture instruments. Because of his death. Dad, his dad collected yeah. historical torture instruments and he like has some stuff <laughs> with him. 
like old knives and things. What a creepo. So Billy is stuck with this creepo yeah. and with the the two scouts and he's going along, going along. They get shot at. And at one point, like just as an example, like they're shot at and Billy continues to stand there because in his belief of how war etiquette goes, you're supposed to give the marksman another shot if they miss the first one. So he's like, <laughs> I guess I'll just let him try again. And then Roland Weary is like, get out of the road. And Billy's just like, I'm not supposed to be here. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't want to be here. <laughs> like, I'm not a soldier. Wait, Billy believes in that etiquette? Yes. Billy thinks you need to get shot at twice? Well, he's like, okay. if they miss, you you got, you know, just let them try once more. He's helpless. He's totally <laughs> helpless. Yeah. Roland Weary, this mean little guy, is also, he, he has, like, this weird pornographic image of, like, a woman committing bestiality Ooh, with a pony. Attempting and, to commit bestiality. Yeah, and he's always making people look at it, and Billy's just like, what? Uh, you think that there was a real yeah. person that Roland was based off of in the war? Because how would he think of that? Yeah, I think so. I think so. And Ooh. also, I think this photograph is real because he describes it as like the first dirty photograph in existence. And I'm like, I wouldn't be surprised if that was real, actually. But I haven't looked it up. I'm Ew. not going to look it up, but it could be I real. I don't want to see. Yeah, I don't want to I'm see. definitely not going to look it up. Yeah, I don't want to get in with the FBI over this. Jacob popping in again. I've just come in from tending the sheep. Actually, the story of this photograph being the first dirty picture in history is a myth that originated with this book. As the daguerreotypes of the time took about an hour to capture an image, depicting a woman attempting intercourse with a pony would have been a highly impractical choice. The actual first dirty pictures ever created were most likely just tasteful Victorian nudes. Okay, mates, back to me sheep. <laughs> so, but Roland thinks of himself and the two scouts as the three musketeers. And he's always like walking around thinking to himself like, oh yeah, like after the war, I'm going to tell these cool stories about how me and the three musketeers rescued this idiot named Billy and like we saved his life and we did all this cool stuff, blah, blah, blah. Obviously, he's an idiot. The scouts don't think of him as like the third member of their club. Right. And so at this point, while they're all walking through the forest, this is when Billy gets unstuck in time for the very first time. It's December 1944. He's leaning against a tree. He's like, I don't want to go on anymore. I'm so tired. And he closes his eyes. And when he opens them, he's back. He's like, what, six years old or something? He's back at the YMCA swimming pool with his dad like a long time ago. Yeah, and his dad threw him in the deep yeah, end. Yeah, his dad threw him in the deep end to say, this is how you're going to learn to swim. And he sunk to the bottom and he didn't try to swim <laughs> and he lost consciousness and someone had to save him and he resented that. He was like, I didn't really want to go back to being alive. He wanted to be dead when he was six years old, I guess. Like he was like, crap. He was like, that was peaceful. Why'd you have to bother me? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So next he time travels to the future in the 60s and he's visiting his mom in a nursing home and then he travels back a little bit and he's at a little league banquet for his son and then he travels forward a little bit more and he's at a party which it says is the only time he ever cheated on his wife yeah it's new year's mm -hmm. eve 1961 at an optometrist mm -hmm. party he's drunkenly cheating on his wife and he says Yikes. like other people in the party were loudly being like what is he doing <laughs> like why is he behaving this yeah. way and then he gets yeah. in his car and he tries to drive away but he can't find the steering wheel so he looks all over the place and then he just goes to sleep but it turns out he was in the back seat of his car the whole time that's why he couldn't find the steering wheel oh my god so he goes to sleep in his car and he wakes up and he's back at the war yeah he wakes up he's back in the war when he time travels because the thing is for instance like if i were to jump forward in time 
you know, 20 years in the future, I feel like I'd have no idea what was going on. Like maybe I, there's someone I know 20 years from now that I don't know now that I'm going to be like, who's this? Or I'm be like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. But he's not like that. He knows exactly what's going on. Not for him. Okay. Well, but also 20 years in the future, you would have also gone back several times. I feel like he's seen all these things multiple times and he's just like back and back and back and back and back. But the first time he goes 20 years in the future, I feel like you'd be like, who's this person <laughs> I've never met? Well, like, you know, the way he describes it, he never, ever behaves any differently. Like we don't see him telling himself I have to act normal. He just it, it's almost like he's watching a movie. Basically, yeah, he's just back in himself. Like he's watching the the movie of his life behind his own eyes. He never says to anyone, holy shit, I was just in Germany. What happened? Like, he's just doing what he was doing, but he's yeah. seeing it again. Yeah. Like, is it, what if I jumped forward in time and I'm doing a dental procedure that I have not <laughs> learned yet? Yeah. I'd be like, oh, crap. I don't know what if to you do. do it, if you do it the Billy way, you'd be totally because fine. Because he actually has okay. a moment like this. So he's in autonomous school. We're going to get to this later on. But basically, like, he time travels and he wakes up and he's in the middle of doing <laughs> an eye exam. And the patient is like, hello, like, you just fell asleep. What's up? And he's like, oh, sorry. Uh, so he does wake up in the middle of it and he's like, oh, shit. I feel like I could be fine if I went back. Because I'm like, I already <laughs> knew what happened. I know what yeah. I'm supposed to do. But you'd have you a know. problem going forward. Thank God he's just an optometrist and not like an oral surgeon. <laughs> surgeon. Yeah, because yeah, that's way, way easier. <laughs> he goes back to the war. The scouts ditch the two of them. And Roland Weary is pissed because he's like, everybody ditches me and it's all your fault. We were supposed to be the three musketeers. Wait, they leave them for dead? They just leave them because they're like, we'll do better without you. Yeah, they're like, you Aww. guys need to find someone to surrender to. Like, we're faster. We're better at surviving. Like, sorry, take care of yourselves. So they go off by themselves. They leave Roland and Billy together. Roland is like, fuck you, Billy. Like, we were the three musketeers and you ruined it. So he beats him up. And while he's yeah. beating him up, German no. people come up upon them and find them and take them captive. And Billy is time traveling during this. So then when he wakes up again, he's currently being captured by the Germans. And also the scouts were killed by the Germans. That's so what they get. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I yeah, guess the scouts so. are immediately killed. <laughs> and uh, so the Germans are basically like not really military people. They're just like regular Germans, I guess. But they so they take <laughs> they're they're called they're actually called Irregulars. Irregulars. <laughs> so they take Roland's boots because Roland is the only one who like has any military gear. They take his boots. They make him wear wooden clogs instead. So they basically <laughs> take all their stuff from them and make them march. And so, yeah, so it's bad. But of course, because Roland is now marching in wooden clogs, basically his feet are just like being turned into blisters all the time. Ooh, this yeah. is when he time travels back to 1967 and he wakes up in the middle of an eye exam and the lady's like, you were just talking to me a bunch and then you went to sleep and he was like, oh, sorry. But then he goes back to Germany and because he was time traveling during all this point, the Germans had decided to like make a propaganda photo where they were like, hey, you get in this bush and come out of the bush and then we're going to look like we're capturing you with our rifles. So Billy comes out of the bush. This picture is snapped, but he's got this like goofy little weird smile on his face because he's like half in 1967 and half in 1944. And so this picture is of the Germans like <laughs> capturing him, but he's got this weird look on his face. And so then after this, he goes 
Back to the Future again. And at this point, it's in, like, the height of the civil rights movement. He's in 1967. Yeah. And so he's, like, driving through a city that is kind of smoking and smoldering. And it's, like, being torn down to build some new stuff. And he thinks, like, oh, that kind of reminds me of Dresden. And also, he has a nice car. He's very rich. Mm -hmm. His son is a Green Beret. His daughter's about to get married. He's rich. And he has a John Birch Society sticker on his car, which his father-in-law gave him, which I don't know if you guys know about the John Birch Society. I don't. They're insane racists. (laughs) Oh, no. Alex Jones's father. Oh, no. Or grandfather or something was in the John Birch Society. They're racist, but, like, they're crazily, like, they're racist to a a huge extent. Oh, I had no idea. But also they're, like, nutso, apart from the racism. (laughs) So, like, they're not so, like, extra. Like, even if they weren't racist, they'd be not so about something else. They have, like, bizarre racist conspiracy theories. It's not just, like, oh, I hate black people. It's, like, also, I think that this thing that's totally off the wall, you know? Like, black people are responsible for the extinction of the tree frog. (laughs) Yeah, something. (laughs) But, yeah, so he says, like, oh, it's a John Birch Society sticker his father-in-law gave him, which makes me really not like Billy because I'm like, dude, you can't just go along along with joining the John Birch Society. Billy seems like he's just like a dazed person. He's just like, he doesn't know what the hell is going on at any given time, but he does do some things where I'm like, you're kind of an asshole. Also, though, does this, Becca, I know you've seen the movie, does this kind of remind you of Click with Adam Sandler? Oh my god, I hated that freaking movie. He was an asshole in that movie, too, though. Yeah, he's almost sleepwalking through a lot of his life, like Billy. I hated Click. I watched it when I was like, I don't know, 13 or 14, and I I was like, oh, this is going to be so funny. This is an Adam Sandler movie. I like Adam Sandler because I'm a No, it's bad. It's kid. really bad. And then I watched it and I was like, this isn't funny at all. This is bad. He does things where like he slow motions women so their boobs like jiggle in slow motion. Or yeah, something. I remember that. Well, and the thing is, is he's like creepily watching this woman while she's running. And it's like, even though you're in slow motion, you're hanging out of your car long enough that she's still going to see you and be like, what the hell's up with that guy? Like, that's gross. (laughs) Yeah. You know, the only part that I remember being slightly funny was like he was on the beach with this woman and she's like standing and it's windy and her hair is blowing all around and she looks really sexy. And Adam Sandler is like, stop standing in the wind. (laughs) It's like, you're looking too good. (laughs) But every other part of it was. Bad. No, no. The uh, the part that I thought was also good was when he meets that like magical old man and he's like, what the hell is this? And he's like, it's Bed Bath & Beyond. This is the, <laughs> yeah, beyond. the beyond. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was that was a good joke. And it was like at the beginning of the movie. So you kind of get your hopes mm-hmm. up and then the rest is just terrible. Oh, wait, you know what? Yeah. Moon Man, do not watch Click. This is not an endorsement. <laughs> yeah, it's not good. I'm so sorry. I just realized this whole time I was thinking about Spanglish. Which is a different Adam Sandler movie. <laughs> what? But I've seen Click as well. Yeah. Spanglish is the one where he's like, get out of the wind. Oh, okay. Wait, how could you confuse them? Know, they were both shitty Adam one Sandler movies. One is like movies. a low-key interpersonal drama. I don't, they were both not very <laughs> funny. Well, Spanglish wasn't supposed to be funny. Click was supposed to actually be a comedy. I guess so, because I watched Spanglish and I was like, damn, this is disappointing. I'm not laughing at all. <laughs> No, it is it is a low-key, like, interpersonal family drama. <laughs> like, and I've seen Punch Drunk Love, and I know that's not supposed to be funny, but that was a good movie. Spanglish just wasn't a good movie. Yeah, he's a he's a wild card in terms of when his movies are good yeah, or bad. Very random. I think honestly he ruined that movie. I feel like some of the other actresses did a really good job, 
And then there's him in there. I just feel like they am like, oh, I care about her story. Like, she's interesting. And then it's just like, he's just this goofy guy. I'm like, what's he do? And like, no one would have a crush on a married man. And the married man is Adam Sandler. Yeah. It's not worth it. You know? <laughs> yeah. You could have a crush on a married man, but not if it's like that guy. It's just not worth it. <laughs> like, I wouldn't even have a crush on single Adam Sandler. Yeah. I just feel like someone has to be, for you to have a crush on someone and they're married, they have to be way better than they'd have to be if they were single mm-hmm. and you had a crush on them. Yeah. It's kind of like if you're a person of color to get into college, you have to be way smarter than a white person to get into college. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like a married man. Has to be way hotter. <laughs> way yeah. hotter. Yeah. So, I mean, the thing is, sometimes people like it when people are married because Ooh, they're, they're almost like, oh, that means someone vouched for you. <laughs> Not, not I even don't, the challenge. That's not the vibe I was getting from this character, though. No. She'd prefer them to not be married, I think. Much like normal people. Yeah, much like normal people. But anyway, uh, sorry, there's one of my opinions. I'm not a fan of Adam Sandler. I don't like him. I think he's kind of gross. You didn't like so him in sorry. any of his movies? See, when I grew up watching like Big Daddy and Waterboy. I and- just feel like it bothers me that he always has like a really hot wife and then it's he's this schmucky guy with a really hot wife and then he's still somehow like complaining about his wife all the time like oh the old ball and chain it's like that woman is so much better that's literally every movie becca have you seen the king of queens well, i hate that i hate that trope and it's just like she's way too good for yeah. you no i hate mm-hmm. that i hate that trope every time there's a man and he's like oh i'm a funny guy but i have like literally nothing else going for me <laughs> i'm not cute and i'm not rich or anything and my wife sometimes asks me to help out around the house what a bitch <laughs> i know yeah. like she wants me to help raise the kids but i fathered like why'd you marry her why are you, why did why did she that's date why you? i like anyway. the other guys so much because the other guys totally flips that on its head have you seen that i've seen oh, it yeah, yeah but, it's will ferrell and but he's his like wife. really mean to his wife too though well his <laughs> wife is what penelope cruz no it's um no eva Sorry, longoria, eva longoria. yeah Exactly. Jackie. Sorry. I don't know. I don't know people's names. I almost said Will Smith. It's Will Ferrell. His wife is Will Smith. Oh. Will yeah, Smith Will and Smith Penelope, and Penelope Cruz. Cruz. No, it's Will Ferrell and Eva Longoria. And she's so hot. And he's just like, oh, like this old hag. Like, why would you show up looking like this? You look like a like a tramp. And she's so nice to him. And he's like, I hate my wife. And she's so nice yeah. and so wonderful. Yeah. And she's like, like a neurosurgeon yeah, or something. So they like In way the- <laughs> overpower her. Like she's so OP. And then they still have him be like, ew. She's hideous. It's just making fun. It's just making fun of the trope anyway jackie loves the other guys i love the other guys it's my favorite it, movie how did you ever even watch it because you you don't like movies you never watch you don't movies. like movies that's weird no. I, saw it, I saw it in theaters with kip oh kip jackie's ex kip wow one good thing came out of kip i guess and every time we made out he would say i want to break your hip <laughs> why would he say that is that in the other because guys? there's a there's a point where, yeah, Eva Longoria dresses up as an old lady to get to, like, speak to her husband. So she, like, Ooh. shuffles out with a walker, and he's like, I love you. And she's like, I love you, too. And he said, I'm going to break your hip. And then they make out. Oh. <laughs> so that's just a little tidbit about me that's not going in the podcast. I can't believe he said that every time you kiss. Almost every time. It's crazy. Leave that in. Yeah, the last time we ever made out. Can I break your hip one last time? <laughs> Leave that in. <laughs> yeah, that's bizarre. <laughs> Sorry, not to kink shame or anything. Not to kip shame. <laughs> oh, yeah, there we go. <laughs> okay, well, should we get back to the book? Oh, because how do we even get? Oh, because of spank. Like, yeah, click. Click. Yeah. Okay. Click. Like he's just seeing what's going Ooh. on. 
<laughs> so let's get back to it. So he's like driving around and he remains in the future for a while. And he's like at a meeting, people talk about um, like the Vietnam War and he doesn't really have an opinion on it. He wouldn't have an opinion on I it. I know. And then he goes back to his house and he lays down in bed and then he like starts crying and he doesn't really understand why. His doctor has told him he needs to take a nap every day because he's hoping it will solve this problem he has where he randomly just starts weeping and he doesn't know why. So he goes home to take this nap. I don't think it's going to work. And then he wakes up and he's back on the march in Luxembourg this time. And Roland Weary's feet are worse than ever. Because of the clogs. (laughs) (laughs) It's not. Do you think, wait, do you think that in the war they actually made POWs wear wooden clogs? Well, I don't think they did it just to make him wear clogs. They swapped. The German yeah. boy who found them just swapped shoes with him. And the boy happened to be wearing clogs. Okay. And you're not supposed to walk like a hundred miles in wooden clogs. So it wasn't good for him. I'd rather be barefoot at that point. Yeah. Please excuse the interruption as we enter a brief interlude on puppets. Your regularly scheduled programming will resume shortly. Let me tell you guys something real quick. Becca and Jackie, this past week, I read a horror book by an author who I've been in communication with who I hope will come on the podcast. And this one is about evil puppets. What? No! (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Evil puppets and dolls. The puppet's name is Pupkin. Ew. Ew. And he's like this evil puppet. But so, Stephen, whenever I was reading it, we were hanging out at a brewery and I was reading this book and I kept being like, (gasps) or like laughing or whatever and one time something happened and I gasped really loud and Stephen was like he's like what is it and I didn't want to give the book away so I just said the puppet he's up to no good (laughs) (laughs) that's like literally my worst nightmare actually Stephen's like thanks for not spoiling it because I'm definitely gonna read that book (laughs) the puppet was doing something really bad at the time by the way this was like the worst thing that puppet ever did. Isn't he evil though? Isn't that his whole thing? Yeah, he's always up to no good, but he was like really up to no good. Well, I just feel like he's evil. He's never going to be up to what good. What was he doing? Like like selling his father's coat for a book or oh, something? Yeah. <laughs> no, he's a, hand, he's a hand puppet, but the thing is like he can kind of possess people when they wear him. <gasps> and also he can move around on his own. I mean, no! honestly, that's but, a cool. That's a cool swap because, like, honestly, like we possess a hand puppet when we put our hands in the puppet. Ooh. That's a quote from. So one of the characters in the book, it, the main character's older brother, he says, "Like I went to college and I joined a radical puppet collective." And he meets this guy, and the guy tells him, "Like they take puppetry really seriously." And the guy says, "A puppet is a possession that possesses the." possessor i disagree i think it's a possession that the possessor possesses like when you put a puppet on the puppet takes you over i don't think so i think i take the puppet over i've been a puppeteer <laughs> taken over many a puppet none of those puppets have oh, ever yeah. taken over me i'll just go ahead and tell maybe you you're that. not puppeteering right jackie i think i'm pup- i think i'm puppeteering right? <laughs> the thing is i wasn't scared of the book at all and i get scared really easily but this one i wasn't scared at all because it kind of like all started because the main character wasn't being very nice to the puppets and her mom like her mom's puppets and dolls and stuff and i was like i treat my stuffed animals really well they would not give me any problems because you're afraid they're gonna come to life and not possess afraid you. i want them to <laughs> what you want them to possess you no to come to life, my stuffed animals, yeah, of course. ever read The Velveteen Rabbit, Jackie? Yeah, that's fucking sad. It ends no, sad. he becomes no, a real rabbit. He gets to become real. 
he dies in a fire. No, he doesn't. He no, turns into he, a real he rabbit. He doesn't die. He turns into a real rabbit. Oh, I guess I never finished the book. Yeah. <laughs> it's a nice yeah. ending. <laughs> There's only like two more pages after that, Jackie. You should have stuck with it. That's too sad. Well, I don't want to give too much about the book away. You know what? I'll do it. So the author is Grady Hendrix, and it, the book is called How to Sell a Haunted House. And I really liked it. I had a fun time. I personally wasn't scared, but somebody asked me about it because she was like, oh, I've been meaning to read that. And I told her, I was like, I'm not really scared because it's puppets. And she was like, I would be really scared. She was like, oh, I but I have a puppet phobia, just so you know. So can you just tell me there's no puppets in this? And you were like, nah. No, can't. there's literally hundreds of puppets in it. Oh, Most hundreds? of them are like Muppet kind of puppets, but there's one really bad puppet. One really bad oh, puppet. No. Yeah, she was like, I'm particularly scared of puppets. And I was like, Who you is will it? be scared of this book. It's not me. Who is it? She was uh, one of the employees at the brewery. What if you make a puppet of her like you did to me? She would <laughs> probably be really scared, right? She'd be like, holy shit. It's too much to spend on doing something freaky to someone I barely know. <laughs> but it was not too much to spend on doing something freaky to me. <laughs> you liked it, I, I thought. I knew you would Wait, love it. We've never yeah. told the story on the podcast. Rachel, Stephen, Theo, Emma, and was there a fourth person? Abby, I think. Abby. I don't know. Like five of my friends came together and did this weird ass thing, which I was so touched by because it was so many of my friends coming together. They made a puppet out of me. And at the time, we were all poor, by the yeah, way. we were all poor. Out of you or of oh. <laughs> representation? Yeah, of out of me. Like they took we little punches of my skin. Out of your clippings. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> Clippings and droppings. No, they made, they sent an artist on Etsy multiple pictures of me and they told her what I like and they told her what I do and they said she plays clarinet, she writes poetry. And her style. Yeah, she has glasses and they sent her, they sent multiple pictures of me. She made a puppet out of me. A Muppet. Stop saying out of you. That's terrifying to me. Based on you. Based on me. In one hand, the puppet had a book called Poems. In the other hand, she had a clarinet and she had a sweater that had a little gray cat on it that was my cat of Angeline and she had glasses that looked just like mine and she had hair that looked just like mine and she had eyes that looked just like mine and that's Lil Jackie and I still have Lil Jackie to this day and Jackie showed up to brunch birthday brunch with all of us and the puppet was waiting there for her actually I think it was just you I think it was just Rachel was there or whether oh, could I not there? get anyone else to come I don't think so. I remember we met at Monuts and you were like, hey, here's your puppet. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> For the record, don't no one ever do that to me. For you. <laughs> I would hate it so much. But I've always told Joshua, if I ever leave you, you're going to know because one day you're going to wake up and you're going to look over to that pillow next to you and it's going to be little Jackie. <laughs> Oh my god. You're to leave the puppet behind? Yeah. To keep him comforted. No, that's the scariest no. thing I could possibly do. I would never do that. Well, you've I would do it at least once to him just well, to mess with it. Yeah, threatened it. Yeah. Got to keep him humble. You should have done that yesterday on April Fools. No. So, the year that we gave Jackie that puppet, her little sister also gave her a dollar tree kit of like stick-on children's fingernails like what? press on children's fingernails and a giant like rubber baby head mask yeah she gave me a giant baby head mask i still have that why did she do that and somebody was like i forget who it was but someone was like if you get murdered they're gonna go to your house and find a puppet of yourself <laughs> a giant rubber baby mask and like a bunch of tiny child-sized fingernails <laughs> they're gonna be like I'm glad she was killed. Oh, no. <laughs> I did joke about that. I was like, what if I go missing and the investigators show up and they're like, 
why does she have a puppet that looks just like her? <laughs> I mean, no matter any time you ever go missing, you're still going to have a puppet that looks, they're going to find that when they look around. Unless they go missing with Lil Jackie. Nice. Or because of Lil Jackie. <gasps> yeah. Oh, I hate it. That's so scary. I kind of want to get a Lil Joshua puppet to keep her company. That'd be cute. Because I'm worried she'll go on a Frankenstein's monster sort of rampage if we don't. I mean, you could get a, a little Rachel. I just don't know why you would. We don't need a, any more of these monstrosities. <laughs> Do you think that puppet making is like the most ontologically evil profession on earth? <laughs> Only if they resemble people. I think, okay, this is what I think. Yeah, that's bad. But I don't think they're trying to be evil. I don't think they realize what they're doing. The puppets? What are they doing? They're just making puppets. Mm, They're bringing evil into the world. (laughs) Puppets are fine and normal. No. Well, okay. I we have to get that author on this podcast because I want him and Becca to argue about puppets. <laughs> no, I don't think that author would say puppets are fine and normal because he wrote a horror movie or he wrote a horror novel yeah. about puppets. They were well, the bad he just guys. Knows that there's something spooky to them, but that doesn't mean they're bad and wrong and abnormal. <laughs> Seems like they might be. <laughs> uh, we'll we'll see. He said he wants to come on, but that since his book just came out, he's actually unfortunately quite famous. I mean, fortunately for him, unfortunately for us. So he's like on a lot of book tours and stuff. He emailed back and said he would really love to come on. It's just that I'm I'm too famous right now, so wait till I get canceled on Twitter and then I'll come on. I hope he doesn't get canceled. <laughs> He'll Becca would cancel him if she could. <laughs> <laughs> no, but if he feels the way that I feel about puppets and then he wrote that book, my hat's off to his bravery, honestly, because that would be like the scariest book I could possibly write if I was writing a book and I would be so terrified the whole time. <laughs> he has also written a book about like a haunted Ikea and a book about <laughs> vampires, all kinds of things. A haunted Ikea is a great idea. Okay, sorry. Let's go back to the book. We're almost okay. done, actually. So what happens now? Billy, he's back to Germany. They're in Germany now. They get taken to a railroad yard. He meets this guy named Wild Bob. Oh, Wild But This is one of my <laughs> saddest parts. I love Wild Bob. But we can skip it then. No, but I want to talk well, about Well, I need him. to hear what happens. Oh, yeah. talk about Wild Bob then. Well, basically all that happens is like there's this colonel guy and he's got pneumonia and he's clearly about to die and he says it's me boys i'm wild bob and the narrator says that's what he always wanted his troops to call him wild bob and wild bob says things like if you're ever in cody wyoming just ask for wild bob and he's like delusional because he's dying and he's like i'm i'm one of my boys like i'll take care of you like you come and see me in wyoming he thinks billy's one of his soldiers yeah oh no but wild bob dies so it goes i would call him wild bob yeah so it goes i love wild bob so then okay so they get put into these different box cars and everybody has to take turns like sleeping and standing up wow i've heard this before Mm -hmm. yeah billy gets separated from roland weary who's like dying because of his infected feet and roland like tells everyone on his train car he's like if you ever get the chance take revenge against the man who killed me and then he says who killed me and everybody says Billy Pilgrim. <laughs> Wait, but do they believe him? They're like, how would that have killed? Like, he forced you to have wooden claws? Well, he's saying, like, the reason I have this infection, the reason this all happened to me, the reason I was captured is Billy Pilgrim. Oh, because the scouts left him because of Billy yeah, Pilgrim. Yeah, he doesn't know this 
scouts were killed right away. Well, so he buddy <laughs> blames Billy anyway. So he has there's one guy in the crowd who ends up thinking, yeah, I'll get revenge on that guy. Uh-oh. Roland Weary is like, everybody needs to realize you need to find Billy Pilgrim and kill him if you see him. They're like, yeah, sure, whatever. I wouldn't do it. I'd be like, who are you to tell me to kill someone? <laughs> who are you? <laughs> so he's like stuck on the train and the train isn't moving at all for days. And then finally it starts to move and Billy time travels to the night where he's kidnapped by the Trelfamadorians. Is that in the future? How far in the yeah, future? It's in the future. Uh, 23 what? years. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. This is not that interesting, but this is the part where I took a quote from the book and I put it in my essay that I wrote for Governor's School. And it said that the humans are standing or lying down in this weird earth made of other humans. And it says the queer earth was a mosaic of sleepers who nestled like spoons. And I thought that was such good prose. And nestling like spoons comes back multiple times in the book, but I guess they didn't, they hadn't come up with the term spooning yet. Spooning. Could have saved some words. It says like Billy and his wife nestled like spoons. (laughs) Could have just said spooned. (laughs) It's cuter to say it that way though. It is, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that happens. I wanted to say I had a couple little notes that I took. So I've read this book a couple times before, but I chose to listen to the audiobook this time. And the narrator, he was just some random guy reading it, but he he pronounced like the German writer Goethe. He he called him goat. And he said like earlier in the book it was something about like goat. And I was like, who the F is goat? And then I finally figured See, it out. See, I didn't out. know how to pronounce that. It's G-O-E-T-H-E. Like I I've seen his name before. I always assumed it's pronounced like Goethe. I guess it is Goethe. But if he called him Goth, even just Goth, I would have gotten it. But like Goat. It's better than Goat. Yeah. <laughs> goat. Why not just look it up? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was that. Another one is when I was listening to the audiobook on the second chapter, someone in the comments, they wrote, I don't have time to finish this book before my test. So it goes. <laughs> <laughs> like I just died in my grades. So yeah. It goes. <laughs> like, yeah, you'd maybe read on a little bit more. You can't just say that whenever a bad thing yeah. <laughs> he also there's a line where he says like somewhere a dog barked and Stephen was like oh isn't that line famous because it's the most used line in literature and i was like what? i don't know <laughs> i've never heard somewhere a dog barked i'm gonna google it right now i thought maybe you would know i thought it was like it was a dark and stormy night or but something dark and stormy night isn't famous for being used a lot so i looked it up and it's not that that's the most faint, like most used sentence. It's just very, very common for dogs to bark in literature. <laughs> well, they bark in real life too. And it's specifically, somewhere a dog barks. Yeah. Well, Stephen thought that that particular sentence is really used a lot, but it's just that that like dogs do bark a lot in books. What is it? Art imitates life. Okay. Probably lots of things happen in books like cars honk and thunder booms. And it's just really common. I'll send you, I found this article someone wrote about it. I'll send it to you. Maybe we can post it on our, like post a link to it on our Instagram or something. Okay. I guess Stephen wins this round. Um, <laughs> Not really. <laughs> I know. So Billy Pilgrim travels forward to 1967. It's his daughter Barbara's wedding night. He's in bed with his wife Valencia and he gets up because he's been in this moment many times before. He knows that the flying saucer from Tralfamador is about to come 
come and pick him up. So he's like, all right, I'll get a bed, get out of bed and go outside. So he still has like an hour to go. So he watches a movie in the living room first. The movie uh, is a war movie and it plays backwards and forwards because again, he's unstuck in time. So it keeps going back and forth. But I thought this was a really great little description. So it describes the war movie going backwards where there's American planes, they're full of holes, there's corpses, there's wounded people. They take off backwards and the German guns like suck the bullets out of the wounded men and they fly backwards. The bombs fly back into the planes and they nestle really safely. Like spoons. Yeah, like spoons. And the bombs get put back into the planes. The planes get put back into the, you know, the country where they came from. They get dismantled in factories. They get broken down into minerals so they can never hurt anybody again. And then the soldiers turned in their uniforms and they became high school kids and Hitler turns into a baby and all of humanity goes backwards <laughs> and turns into Adam and Eve and nobody ever hurts anybody. That's what happens when you watch a war movie backwards. Oh. So at this point, he goes out onto the lawn to wait for the flying saucer. It comes for him <laughs> somewhere. A big dog barked. This is the most common sentence ever written in literature, mostly because it's used like eight times in this book alone. The saucer comes down, grabs him. He goes up in the air. They're like, hey, any questions? And he's like, why me? Why'd you pick me? And they're like, that's a weird earthling thing for you to say, Mr. Pilgrim. Why anybody? <laughs> and they use this metaphor that they'll use again, which is, have you ever seen bugs trapped in amber? And he says, yeah. And they say, well, there's no why. You're trapped in amber. This is the moment. This is what it is. I don't. Okay. These aliens, just because they're different from us, doesn't make them right. <laughs> That's my opinion. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like, because Amber isn't sentient, Amber isn't choosing a bug to trap. It's just doing what it's doing without it's a thought. It's sitting there and then the bug gets in it. Exactly. <laughs> but that's what they're saying. They're saying there is no why. You're just in it. Well, that's not true. <laughs> For them it is. But they are choosing to grab a guy and bring him to their planet because they have sentience. They didn't choose. They're just like, we've done this before. We'll do it again. But they don't have to. Mm. Maybe. They're doing it. They're doing it. <laughs> Who knows? Jackie, you can't cut them so much slack. I'm just saying what happens later in the book. But their reason would be, I'm doing this because I've done it before, so I feel like I have to. That would no, be their no, reason. Like, they they see all of time happening all at one time. So they're like, there's no avoiding this. Like, I've already done it. I will do it. I have done it. I'm doing it now. There's no not doing it. Like, it's already yeah. been done. Anyway, that's what they think. <laughs> yeah, I just wouldn't. It's my thing. <laughs> One thing I do like about this description of the flying saucer and the aliens is it's like the most basic thing you can think of. It's like, yeah, it's a round thing. It's got portholes. It has like a beam that comes down and a ladder and then you climb up it. And it's these like green aliens with an eyeball. It's like he didn't try to make the aliens or the saucer like interesting. He literally just made them like the most basic type of alien thing you could think of. Because the interesting part is, like, their perspective and how they see things. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I would, if I were him, I would run away and see what they do. I'd be like, I didn't do that last time. <laughs> now what? <laughs> you know? And then you go murder your grandparents and now you're stuck in a paradox. Yeah. I would say the least interesting kind of alien is the one where it's just, like, a hot green woman. And they act just like normal humans. That's true. Like the fifth element? I've never seen that alien before. You've never seen the fifth element? No. With Bruce Willis? Star Trek had a lot of those. Guardians of the Galaxy kind of has those. Oh, you're right. You're uh, right. Star Wars has some oh, of them. Oh, Star Wars. Uh, actually, in Star Wars, a lot of them are like little Muppet freaks. And <laughs> it's kind of weird that the humans all get with other humans because it's like, that's what I would do. 
But if you lived in the future or the past or whatever it's supposed to be and like everyone else is sentient, like you'd probably be getting with aliens and you wouldn't even necessarily find humans attractive. Like that's probably not the beauty standard. But if you're a human though? I mean, there would be no problem with it if you're all sentient adults of your species. I know, but I'm just saying like, like I feel like I would at least someone who had the same number of limbs as me. You know, I don't know. Maybe you guys are like childhood friends and you fall in love like your neighbors or something like maybe your parents emigrated to a planet without any other humans. And so you just aren't used to humans. Okay, okay. I feel like, yeah, you I feel like, yeah, I agree. I think you would be into what you are used to. Also, I just uh, I'm not saying every human wouldn't be with other humans. I'm saying you should really be seeing more couples and even not just human with different aliens, but like you should be seeing other couples that are like one kind of alien with another kind of alien. Mm -hmm. Because, like, for example, look at Max Rebo's jizz band. They're all different species. Ruby McCool, he's his own thing. Like, they're a friend group, and they're all Mm -hmm. different species. So, like, it would make more sense for that to happen. So, what I'm asking is, you would get together with that gonzo-looking guy on Tatooine who sells, like, the engine parts, and he's clearly just, like, an anti-Semitic. You're talking about the Jewish stereotype? (laughs) I don't think so, Jackie. I don't think I would get with Watto. He has a bad personality. (laughs) Well, he was made to have a bad personality. I wouldn't mind if they... They would need to be pretty humanoid is my thing. I don't care if they're like a color, like a blue or green, or I don't care about that. Becca, you would would love the fifth element then. There's so many like hot, weird aliens. They're just hot women with different skin color, and sometimes they have a third boob. Do they... I don't want a third boob. I also... Do they not have men aliens yeah but it's like a movie for men mostly so it's mostly hot women i think isn't it bruce willis or something i just said yeah it's bruce willis okay look let's finish (laughs) this freaking book okay so he goes up he's in the trafamadorian spaceship and he says why and they're like there is no why you're just here we don't know so they bring him up there and while it's lifting off from earth he's like squished a little bit by like the g-forces and he regains consciousness in germany again so the train keeps going the train keeps going like people die people die so it goes so it goes um eventually the train arrives at a camp at this point they go pick out coats <laughs> the germans are like here's a bunch of coats that we took from like dead soldiers and civilians and you can take one so they pry these like frozen nasty coats apart and everybody else gets like a normal coat from a soldier billy gets a tiny 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 coat from a civilian which is maybe meant to fit like a monkey that hangs out with an organ grinder, he says. So it's like teeny, teeny, what? tiny. Yeah, he says it looks more like a hat than a coat. What? <laughs> <laughs> also, there's another funny thing, which is that they get deloused and mm. they like get in this hot shower, whatever. And then it says afterwards, it's like they weren't mm. any cleaner, but like all the lice were dead. And then the narrator says, so it goes. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> oh, the lice died. <laughs> Anytime anything dies. Yeah. <laughs> so like the dead lice are on them still they're just well they're just dead they're dead now but they're still there well i feel like they were they'd be cleaner if the lice were gone so the lice have just a little better than having live lice i guess no it's a lot better jackie a lot better (laughs) as a person who's covered in lice i guess i don't know the difference i have had head lice one time have you yeah i've had lice before 
It was gross. It was like the worst experience of my life. Well, because I was like 15. It's too old to have lice. Oh, I was younger. Yeah, I hated it. I hated to have lice, but I had it. It was gross. My stepbrother gave it to me. And because I was the only one in the house who had light colored hair, apparently lice love light colored hair because their little eggs can hide in there better. So I got it the worst oh. out of anybody. And then I started my 10th grade year and people would be like, oh my God, Jackie, hi. And they try to give me a hug and I'd be like, ah, don't hug me. No, I, I told you my lice story. Becca, do you remember it? Where mom no. like put the lice killing poison on my head that you're only supposed to leave on for like a couple hours. And then she left it on me all night long. And then also I went to school with poison on my head. And then I came back and she was like, oh no. <laughs> it was on for like 24 hours. Yeah. My dad did the same thing except on purpose. Yeah, oh my God. he didn't put lice killer on my head like you could get from a grocery store or a doctor. He put industrial grade insecticide on my head because he had a job oh at the time taking care of plants. So he put this thing on me that you do not put on people. <laughs> Definitely not children. <laughs> and it killed the lice, that's for sure, because nothing else had worked. But uh, do I have brain damage? Probably. Now you have a little bit of trouble speaking English sometimes. Yeah. And I can't remember anything. You can't tell people's faces apart. And I can't tell people's faces apart. Will Ferrell, Will Smith, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I have so many problems. So anyway, they kill the lice. At this point, Billy goes back in time to his infancy and he's a little baby and his mom is taking care of him and he's warm and safe. That's cute. Then he goes back to being an optometrist. He's playing golf, whatever, whatever. Now he goes back to the spaceship. So he's like, hey, what's going on? And they're like, I don't know how to explain it to you. Like earthlings love to explain things in terms of like reasons and time, etc. But like, you're just here. And he says, well, it sounds like you don't believe in free will. And the Trophimidorians are like, we been all over the universe and like the only people that ever talk about free will are the earthlings hmm. well if there's no free will i don't know that's a lot of implications <laughs> yeah yeah I, i'd say there's an implication it does have two. a lot of yeah. implication yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well you know then there can't really be a bad guy if there's no free will there also can't be a good guy and i think there is a bad guy i think there's a bad guy for sure there's always a bad guy. Not always. What about on this podcast? It's me. I'm the bad guy on the podcast. <laughs> it's me. Oh, my gosh. Scheming. Hi, I'm the bad guy. It's me. <laughs> but I think the Nazis are definitely the bad guys here. Yeah, the Nazis yeah, are the sorry. bad guys. They're the bad guys. <laughs> sorry, Nazis. And those wooden shoes. Roland is the bad guy, too. Yeah, the, cl the clogs are the real villain in this <laughs> <laughs> So Billy, the Trophimidorians are like keeping him in a sort of zoo and they only have one book that an earthling can read. So he reads it and he's like, eh, that was pretty good. And then he asks, like, can you give me a Trophimidorian book? And they say, yeah, but you definitely can't read it. You won't understand it because it's basically just like a series of telegrams or hieroglyphs. And he's like, well, what do each of these mean? And they say, each of them don't really mean anything. We read them all at once and all of them together impart some type of meaning. They're all moments. So they're separated by little stars. It's like symbolic clumps and then stars. And they say each of these clumps of symbols is like a moment in time that the author describes briefly. And the meaning from our books is derived from the moments that the author chooses to include. And that when you read all of them together, it gives you like a beautiful image of life. So that's how they read their books. Hmm. Quote, there is no beginning, no middle, no end, no suspense, no moral, no causes, no effects. 
What we love in our books are the depths of many marvelous moments seen all at one time, which is funny because Kurt Vonnegut himself separates his paragraphs quite a lot by little stars. And I like this a lot. I was going to mention this towards the end once we were done describing the plot. The paragraphs that he does, they don't just go like paragraph, paragraph, paragraph. They're separated usually by double spaces, which I know sounds like it would not be anything, but the fact that there's these sections separated by double spaces is so powerful to me. I don't know if that was the same for you, Rachel, but like, like I tried to imagine if they just like mashed all these together and just did one space instead of two. But the two spaces to me is like, it just makes you pause and it's like, okay, that's a meaningful last line. And then the next one starts and Mm -hmm. it's like, that's a meaningful section. You don't think of it as like, oh, this is just like a continuous like story. Yeah. No, that's interesting. So yeah, the way that it's formatted encourages you to think of it more as separate moments. Mm -hmm. That's That makes sense. I feel though, the thing about those Trophimagorians or whatever, their (laughs) book, I feel like I could try to read the book if it was in a language that I read. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. Translate it for me and give me a shot. Let me see all these moments and think about it. Like, it's just like, like they're not I, even giving him a chance. Maybe I won't enjoy it, but, you know, I could probably get it. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't sound that hard. Yeah. It's like, and also for the people, they kind of remind me of um, the trope of like the insufferable hipster. Like, oh, you wouldn't <laughs> get it. Oh, yeah, yeah, your stuff it. isn't good. And it's like, actually, it sounds like you don't get my stuff. You don't even understand cause and effect. They don't. I at least understand <laughs> cause and effect. And like, maybe if I could read your little language, I could get your book. Like, you're not even giving me a chance. You know? <laughs> yeah. And uh, like he says that, he's like, yeah, the Trophimadorians don't understand how humans view time and he doesn't understand how they view time. So they try to explain it to each other, but they really can't. So at this point, Billy goes into a time warp and instead of being thrown into the deep end of a pool by his father, he's standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon with his mother and father and he's afraid of falling into it. So at this point, he travels back to the war. He puts his tiny little coat on and everybody laughs at him because it's way too tiny. <laughs> <laughs> they... They put the Americans with a bunch of British officers and they're described as like being super hot. They are hardy. The officers? They are strong. They are fit. Like they're ripped. healthy. Yeah. Yeah. They've been prisoners for four years. So they've been there and they've made great friends with the Germans. And due to some type of clerical error, they get like 500 pounds of food a month instead of 50. So they have tons of food. And they just, like, work out all the time, and they have all this stuff. They trade the food and, like, share it with different people in exchange for things. And they're, like, really cheerful, and they sing hearty songs all the time, tra-la-la, all together. And they, they're they so excited the Americans are coming, so they're like, we're going to make them a banquet. And they do this, and they have all these, like, bowls and things made out of cans. and So they, they welcome them. They're so excited. They're like, we're going to make a banquet. We're going to put on a play. And the Americans get there. And of course, they're like beat to hell. Also, Billy, they're like, what coat are you wearing? Like, don't (laughs) let, they say like, don't let Jerry mess with you like this. And he's like, who's Jerry? (laughs) Yeah, who's Jerry? (laughs) That's that's what they called the Germans. Yeah. Oh. So, but they do like a little play, a Cinderella play. And he's like, I guess Billy enjoyed it because he's laughing a lot. But then he laughs so hysterically that they they have to take him to the hospital. No, he starts laughing and then it turns into (laughs) shrieks and he can't stop shrieking. So he has like a mental breakdown. So they go tie him to a bed and pump him full of morphine. The morphine starts taking him over and then he wakes up and he's in the mental ward in the future in New York City. And this was, he, he committed himself and it says like everybody at the time 
time, like, thought he was totally fine and totally mentally healthy, but he was not. But he gets to the hospital and the doctors were like, you are not fine. You're crazy. Yeah. (laughs) And instead of thinking it has to do with the war, they were like, oh, it's probably because your dad threw you in the pool that one time. Um, What? Yeah. The Grand Canyon. Yeah, that's probably why you're upset. So they put him in the hospital and he's next to this guy um, in the hospital who's another patient. His name is Elliot Rosewater. Elliot Rosewater is the protagonist of God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater, who's in protagonist of a different novel. And he's the one who introduces him to the work of Kilgore Trout. Who, again, recurs. So, like, this is a whole universe. Like, these characters recur in different novels. So he's just another mental patient, and he introduces him to these science fiction novels. Not a lot happens here, basically. Like, his mom comes and visits him, and Billy's, like, hiding under the blankets because he's like, my mom worked so hard to, like, make me be alive, but I don't even like being alive, so I don't, I feel bad, and I don't want to see her. So he hides under the blankets. Then his fiancé comes to visit, and he's like, I don't want to marry my fiance. She's so ugly. This is the part where I'm like, Billy Pilgrim, you're an asshole. Yeah. Because he's like, I never wanted to marry her because she's so ugly. But really, she's like a really nice girl. She's just fat. So he's just like, oh, I don't want to marry her because she's fat. But also, she's not... I don't know how nice, though, because, like, he's he's in a mental hospital, and she just keeps talking about, like, oh, what silver should we choose for the wedding? Oh. <laughs> Which, like, if she's doing that deliberately as, like, a tactic to kind of bring him out, then yes, but, it, but Billy seems to think that she's just, like, not very smart or like not very thoughtful yeah i guess you're right it kind of she might be self-absorbed or she might have been doing it on purpose to just draw him out of himself so well i think i think the point is she's not like super super smart or anything but like that's okay she's not a bad person he doesn't need to marry her if he's got such a problem yeah but she's fine she's not she's not bad her name is valencia merble what do you think becca of strong start but bad finish Marble is a bad finish <laughs> yeah yeah i agree <laughs> sorry if anyone's name is Marble. Marble. <laughs> the only really important thing that happens here is i think that um so valencia and billy and elliot rosewater are all talking in the mental hospital and rosewater tells them about this book called the gospel from outer space by of course kilgore trout and it says it's basically about a visitor from outer space and he wants to visit earth to learn why christians find it so easy to be cruel And they realize it's because the gospel basically says, oh, if you kill somebody who's really well connected, you're in trouble. So like you kill Christ. Well, turns out Christ was the son of God. Now you're in trouble. He rewrites it to be like Jesus is nobody. He's not the son of God. He's just a random dude. They crucify him. And then God comes down and is like, I'm adopting that guy. And now if you ever treat someone badly who's got no connections in the world, you're in trouble. Uh, cool. So anyway, so now Billy travels back in time to Tralfamador. He's lounging there, and apparently these little plunger guys think he's like a great specimen of a human, even though he's like not that great in shape or anything, and he doesn't look that good. So he's like, cool, <laughs> like they think I'm a great specimen. That's basically it. So he has like little interviews sometimes because like the, they come and view him in the zoo. They give the audience little guides about Billy and like what it's like to be a human. He says that he learns a little bit about their culture. Apparently there are five sexes on Tralfamador, each of them performing a step necessary to create a new individual, but they all look identical because their sex differences are all in the fourth dimension, right. which Billy can't see in. So they can see the difference but he can't that's cool and then he's like 
he's like, five? That's crazy. We only have two. And they're like, actually, on Earth, there are seven sexes at least. Yeah. So it says there can't be earthling babies without male homosexuals. There could be babies without female homosexuals. Rude. There couldn't be babies without women over 65. There could be babies without men over 65. There couldn't be babies without other babies who had lived an hour or less, blah, blah, blah. So it's like, here's all these things that you actually have to have, but you just can't see all those differences, which means Biden was correct. Joe Biden was correct when he said there are at least three genders. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we already knew that. Yeah. But yeah. they're saying there are at least, they're saying there's at least seven sexes, not just genders. Oh. Yeah, sexes. So anyway, he's like, well, that doesn't make sense to me, but nothing he says makes any sense to them either. So he says to the Trophimidorians, like, I don't get it. Like, you guys are all living in peace. Like, you know, the earth is covered in war and I've seen some horrible things and people treat each other so badly. Clearly, the earth must be one of the most dangerous planets in the universe, right? Like, we're a threat to everybody else. You're probably all scared of of humans and scared of what we're going to do to everyone. Yeah. So, like, what do we do? Like, what can we learn from you to make it so that the earth isn't so imperiled and imperiling everything else? And the Trophimidorians all take their little hands and they put it over their little eyes and they bow their heads and Billy says he realizes he said something stupid. And that's where we're going to end. Oh, yeah. That's that's what Trophimidorians do when you say something stupid. They just cover their eyes. <laughs> cover their eyes. I don't want to. I don't want to. He- yeah, because it keeps them from hearing something stupid. Because <laughs> yeah. they hear it through their eyes. But so that's where we're going to end right now. Basically, he asked this yep. and they're like, ugh. Oh, that was so stupid. <laughs> we'll find out in the next episode why. But And that's the cliffhanger. Why was it so stupid? Are they going to tell him why it was stupid or no? They do in oh, the next okay, sentence. Cool. But we're not going to tell you until <laughs> episode two. Okay. Well, I guess I'll wait and figure it out when you tell me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Becca, did this kind of make sense? Like, we've been all over the place. Basically, it's like it doesn't really matter what order you go in. The point is that he's jumping all yeah. over the place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm getting the gist of it, I think, for sure. I'm wondering how much of it is autobiographical, though. I think pretty much everything but the aliens. Yeah, but do you think, like, he hated being alive the whole time he was alive or just after the war? Yeah. Was he always going to asylums, you know? I don't know. Uh, I I didn't read that he'd been to, like, mental Or he just thinks he should have. Yeah, I think this probably states basically his feelings on life. I think he, after viewing all of this kind of stuff, felt like... You know, how do you go back to, like, believing that people are good and things matter when you've seen so much death and so much horrible, pointless death? I don't know. I'm sure that messes you up. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think from reading about his life, I feel like, yeah, he probably did feel like this. Maybe he should have gone to some mental hospitals, but I don't think he ever did. Do you think he also got a tiny jacket? When he went to the, <laughs> the prisoner of war place, you think that he got the tiny jacket? That. that part's pretty funny, though. That's <laughs> yeah. a little too out there. <laughs> yeah. There is a part um, in the next episode, which is, like, not really a big plot point, but it mentions, like, oh, this soldier does something, and the narrator steps out and says, oh, that was me. That was the person that I was. I did the that. The narrator. Oh. Mm-hmm. Always like when that happens. Well, there you have it. Let us end there. So it goes. <laughs> So it goes. So it goes. In terms of the podcast. We have to end the recording <laughs> session. <laughs> okay, everyone. I got to go to sleep soon. I got to eat dinner. I'm finally sober. <laughs> well, all right. On that note, farewell, everyone. So it goes to you and yours. Um, I think you mean so it goes w- with you and your spirit. Sure. And also with you. 
If you'd like to support our podcast, I highly recommend you rate and review us on iTunes or Spotify if you can. That's free, y'all. That is free. Also recommend us to friends, family, whoever. And the final thing that I really recommend is going to patreon.com slash firethecanon and becoming a patron. You will get access to our bonus content. We have a bunch of episodes and some like little blog posts, all kinds of stuff. It's very fun. So... Anyway, we would really appreciate it. You can get a regular sticker. You can get a holographic sticker. You can get whatever you want. Also, we would we would really like to be able to someday get Jackie a new laptop so that her laptop's fan isn't so loud that she has to put it like <laughs> on the other side of the room whenever she records and then use the video of her phone and then speak. It, it's very awkward. It's very and awkward. And easier. this whole time I've been, I have to like blow up my Google Doc notes like 300 times so I can see it from how far yeah. away it is. Yeah. So anyway, we would love to get Jackie a laptop someday. So please help us. <laughs> but you know what? Thanks for being here, guys. We love you. We do. Okay. Bye. Bye. So it goes. See you in two weeks. He dies in a fire. <laughs>